You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, have you put your long sleeves on uh, today in uh, in honor of Kate Simpson? Ah. Uh. I, you know, I, I could never actually play in long sleeves. We had Too to play. In, we had to play in long sleeves back back when I played uh, at school. They only had long sleeve jumpers. Too hot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. Couldn't deal with it. Even you know, you're playing footy. I mean, I, I don't understand how Simpson did it for so long. But uh, honestly, I was thinking about Kate Simpson, and I, I thought you know maybe he could have he could have played again. I, I think the big question that Carlton are going to have to ask themselves, and we spoke about this a little bit is just uh, who are the guys they have coming through and probably just trying to ease that reliance on those older guys that they still sort of have had because I think that's what they're going to need to do to take a step. I mean, Simpson isn't going to get any better from this point. Um, I did think he probably had a year left in him though, but a uh, hell of a career. Unbelievable career, really. Yeah, the fact that he was st- he's still going... I, if you had told me, if, you know, if I was only paying half attention to foot, if you had told me he retired five years ago, I would have believed it. Because it just felt like he was on his way out five or six years ago, but just kept going and kept going, and obviously is a massive part of Carlton over some pretty you know, lean years. But to have a guy like Simpson, who seems universally loved right across not only the club but the league, um, it's uh, it's been a, a great run for him, and uh, we wish him all the best. And uh, some some pretty lean pretty lean years of it there for Cade, but uh, always uh, was he was doing what he needed to do to to get the team at their best level. So the stat I love, and well, there's a couple of stats I love about Simpson, first of all. And I, and I will just say, this guy, yeah, the Blues haven't won a lot of games. Uh, we know that. And it's kind of it's kind of shocking, honestly, that he played this long at one club, given the fact that he only played six finals in his 341 games, six total finals. It's incredible that he, that he hung around for that long. Is any wonder that Blues fans love him as much as they do. But 341 games, he's averaged 21 disposals over those 341 games, which is quite remarkable. Uh, you always use the ball well, courageous, good skills. But the 341 games stands out to me because if you look at another guy who just signed a new deal, Sean Burgoyne, he's played 388 games, but he's played 35 finals. So, uh, you know, you need a little bit of luck if you want to push up to that 350-plus, 400 range. Obviously, we know there's been hardly any guys that have done that, but the guys that have, they've played in a lot of finals, and uh, that's been the difference for Simpson. But if you go back to his first three games, so all the way back in 2003, and this cracks me up. So his first three yeah, games, he did is, not have, didn't have a single disposal. <laughs> but the, the part that I love is looking at his percentage of time on ground. So first game up against Geelong, they lose. He was on the ground 30% game time. That's a significant stretch not to get a disposal. But first game, we'll let you off. The week after, he played 2% game time. In 2003, Kate Simpson, 2% game time. And then the week after, 14% game time. So, yes, he didn't have a disposal, but come on, give him a chance. Give him a chance out there. He did have three tackles across those three games, though. Yeah, that's it's pretty wild to look. He only played six games in his first two seasons as well, considering he's gone on to play another 335 uh-huh. after that. It's pretty weird that he just didn't play um, through that time. But that... That fact that he had no disposals in three games is—I uh, don't know—I don't know if too many people will would have done that to start their career and then go on to play three hundred plus 
But uh, congratulations to Cade Simpson. That's a, a positive note, but there's been a bit of negativity also around the AFL in the last 12 hours or so. Uh, talking about one of your favorites and one of our favorites on the show, Isaac Quayner, who was the Rising Star nominee for this week. And Adelaide fans and players and the club are uh, a little unhappy, I would say. And this, uh, I'm going to talk about this a bit later, but they're not happy that uh, Lachlan Scholl did not get the nomination there. So the, the Quaynor situation is interesting, Kane. Look, I, I don't think anyone would argue that Scholl probably had the better game. Over the weekend, he was, you know, I think got the most coaching votes, best on ground coaches votes in that game. He had a ton of disposals, kicked a couple of goals. But what do you make of this, uh, I'm going to say controversy, because in the end it's bullshit, but in this controversy regarding the Queen or over Shoal nomination? Uh, I mean, I don't really care. Uh, Shoal hasn't played that many games. Queen has been a, a key part of the Collingwood team for weeks on end. Shoal's clearly going to be a pretty talented player, but I, I thought that it was a deserved nomination to be honest i was sort of surprised that queen or hadn't got one earlier in the season you obviously heard me speak about him a lot i think he's a real key to what they're going to try and do in finals if they're going to have success in finals i think queen is going to be a key part of that so yeah i didn't really care i mean in the end it was honestly just adelaide players sticking up for their guy i guess probably thought it was a little bit they probably maybe went a little bit too far though it, it did sort of seem like they were trying to say that queen wasn't deserving of the rising star, which is uh, that's complete bullshit. He's 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 been a good player. Uh, he was important for them again on the weekend, another 17 disposals. So I thought that it would have been it would have been unfair if Quainall wasn't eligible for the award this year. Let's just say that. Yeah, I think that's where the problem lies with this. Now, interesting, Quainall has only played one more game than uh, than Shoal this season, eight games versus seven. But I think overall he's been a more impactful player. But you can make that argument, and there's plenty of people, oh, yeah, at least yeah, Quainall had three goals kicked on him in the first half. But that's the problem with this award. I don't understand why we have to nominate players every week. right? Because you get to this situation, and the AFL sort of came out and said that uh, today, is that, um, when we and this is again just the absolute stupidity with the way the AFL operates so many different things you're coming out and saying that oh, when we get towards the end of the season we're lo- more looking at body of work versus individual game performance like what kind of award and nomination situation has criteria that varies from week to week where's the cutoff is it round 10 then it becomes body of work is it round 15 or is it when we've got two rounds left and we shit ourselves at one of the probably the top five or top six young guys in the league isn't going to get nominated because of our focus on individual game performances through the first 16 rounds. We go, oh my God, this guy is right up there, but he's not actually nominated. We need to throw him in there, even though this maybe wasn't his best performance. He was still pretty good, but there was someone else better. And now they're going to do the same. Even if Lockie Scholl has a shit one next week, they'll probably nominate him. So I just don't understand the point of nominating rising stars. Like, oh, you have to be nominated to win this award because almost inevitably, the guy who gets that, nom- that nomination in, in round one, he either wins the award or he has his big first game and then he's never heard of again. And I, I think that might have happened even this season as well with the rising stars. It's just a weird scenario. We can highlight there these players, but to be eligible for award, you have to get nominated on a week-by-week basis is pretty strange to me. It is strange. The nominations are cool, though. and I, I know are, they, are they, though? Yeah, I think they are. I think I think fans get excited about it, um, particularly probably teams that aren't involved in the finals so much as well. They probably think it's a, a good recognition. So I'm sure that there is Adelaide fans that are genuinely annoyed, genuinely annoyed the fact that he didn't get the nomination. Because I think that, you know, when you when your team's not that good, and I certainly remember it as uh, I, was, I was pretty young, Josh, when my team wasn't winning games. But uh, I remember it was pretty cool when you got the young fellas coming through, getting all the all the nominations. It, it is fun. I do, again, yeah. I mean, it, the only difficult thing with it is 
uh, there might have been a situation earlier, and I, I don't. I'm just, you know, this is just throwing up a, a scenario where Quaynor might have played a really good game earlier in the season, but uh, Isaac Rankin came in, for instance. It was his first game. All the hype was on him, so they quickly gave him the nomination. And then it does, as you sort of said, it puts you in a difficult situation later in the year where you're like, well, it's actually pretty farcical if Quaynor doesn't get a nomination here. So he played pretty well on the weekend, but we really just got to give him one. And and that's where it does become a little bit difficult with the nominations. There's no doubt about that. Do you know who was the round one Rising Star nomination? Yeah, round one would have been, um, I reckon it would have been uh, Butterick. No, he was round three. It was a player who has played three games all season, Sam Sturt. Ah, yeah. So look, I wouldn't have guessed that. He came out. He had he had ten disposals in round one against Essendon and got the Rising Star nomination and then played two more games for the rest of the year. Now most of these guys are getting nominations that they're fine, but even a guy like you know, Tom Green from the Giants, he hasn't been in in the team every week. It's just it's it's a weird situation. This tends to happen quite a bit, um, and it just creates this sort of controversy where a guy like Shoal misses out this week, but then a whole fan base starts shitting on another young guy who did nothing wrong. Look, he didn't come out there and steal the award, Quainer. He just got nominated because he's been better all season. And I just, I think it's unnecessary to have that sort of, um, uh, yeah, focus, well, not necessarily focus, but yeah, the, the fact that this award is only one if you get this nomination, leading to farcical situations where the rules for these nominations change on a uh, you know, week-by-week or month-by-month basis. It's, again, just something that there's an easy fix for it, but the AFL just wants to make everything as um, confusing and open to conspiracy as possible. Vic well, Bias, look- that, that's the one. Let me let me just say though that the rising star anyway. Let's be honest. Like it's it's always a one player race or a two player race. Like you know the nom- the other guys getting nominated aren't really a chance. And Quayne all you know as he did deserve a nomination just by the rules of the award that he should be in the mix. But he's not going to win it. It's going to be Sarong or Noah Anderson. We already spoke about that. Yep. So uh, I wonder if. You know, if you really, and it doesn't really matter, but maybe just change it and just say everyone's eligible. If you play the games, you're going to win. It's not going to change who's going to win it, but maybe have a Young Player of the Week award or some some shit like that. I don't know. I don't know, Lloyd. I probably don't even care that much, to be honest. Um, yeah, you're right. Most of the time it is a, a one a one man race unless Lewis Taylor is involved. Uh, still salty about that one. Um, who, who, like sometimes you get two guys in there, but you, you can generally tell the, the couple of guys up there and whichever guy David King goes really hard on uh, yeah, pushing for that is the one that he's got money on. So that's normally the one that gets the uh, gets gets the win over there at the Rising Star. But yeah, I just don't like that you know, f- fake and avoidable controversy and pylons. And literally, I saw many people, oh, yeah, this is just another another thing that the Vic teams have had to move, so they have to give it to Victorian teams. It's this Vic bias when I think 11 of the 17 nominations have been from non-Victorian teams. But it just fuels further conspiracies, which we don't need any more fuel for that sort of stuff going around in the, uh, in the world and in the AFL landscape either. But um, let's talk about some good teams, some really good teams, and that is at the top of the ladder. Kane, it's time for this or that. This or that. The Brisbane, the Brisbane Lions, I call them Brisbane Bears. The Brisbane Lions <laughs> and the uh, Port Adelaide Power, they're sitting up in the top. They're the top two teams. They're going to finish as the top two teams. Do you think, and this, uh, yeah, the West Coast Eagles, they're a real challenger. Richmond, they're looking for another flag. Geelong, are they flag favorites? They're not the team sitting at the top of the ladder. Do you think that Brisbane and Port are getting enough respect for being those teams that have been at the top of the ladder basically all season? Probably not Brisbane. But I'm going to say Port Adelaide's fine because 
Yes, they have been at the top of the ladder all season long, and I know that just by virtue of being on top of the ladder, they should get that uh, that that respect, and and I certainly understand that. But I'm I'm not sold until we see it because the reason I say that is when when people bring up the wins that they've had against the top teams. So they beat Richmond. That was a high high quality game. It was one of my favorite games to watch all season long. But I have to bring up the point that Richmond were playing off a five-day break. I think it was Port Adelaide a nine-day break. That's not going to happen in finals. Port Adelaide blew them away in the fourth quarter. It was a really high-intensity game. I predicted that that might have even happened coming into the game, that the fourth quarter was going to be key, and that's exactly what happened there. So I'm not I'm not discrediting the win, but I'm just saying the facts that you're going to play in a final where that's not going to be the case. So I need to see that uh, when they've both had the requisite rest. The other win they've had against one of the top teams was against West Coast, and again, I mean, this was way back uh, during the hub stage in West Coast. We thought, you know, we're a chance to miss the eight at that point. So since then, obviously, we know the Geelong game sticks in everyone's mind. And the problem with the Geelong game is that not only did they get flogged in that game, but the weeks after, they haven't had a chance to redeem themselves. They've played Hawthorne, they've played Sydney, North Melbourne, and Essendon. So they haven't had a chance to really play another top-level team and say, okay, that game was just a one-off. And I, I, I have to believe that it was a one-off, honestly. The fact that they lost by 10 goals, I don't see that happening because Geelong and Port Adelaide are probably going to play each other in the first final if the results go the way that we think they will. So they'll get a chance to completely reverse that. But I think that's what's holding people back at this point. For me, I've spoke a lot about the fact that I, I think their forward line, even though against some of these poor teams, they've had a bunch of different goals uh, kicked by different guys. I still just think against the good teams, too reliant on Charlie Dixon. So my question mark has always been with Port Adelaide, who else is going to kick the goals against the best teams in finals when the pressure's on and when Dixon isn't going to get any one-on-ones whatsoever. So I think the question marks on Port Adelaide are kind of fine. It kind of makes sense to me. Well, I think yeah, they're sitting there. They haven't they haven't had a bad loss in terms of you know losing to a terrible team. They've lost to St Kilda, they've lost to Brisbane, and they've lost to Geelong. So they've lost to two fellow top four teams and the Saints, who were probably in the top four at that point as well. So they've had those losses. You know, Brisbane lost to Geelong, and they lost to Richmond. And this is, I think, why you know, when talking about the Premiership, it's like you know, Richmond is mentioned and Geelong is mentioned because they've knocked off these teams above them. Uh, you know, Geelong has beaten both of the top two teams already this season. You know, Richmond uh, you know, had, a, had a cracker against Port, and they, they beat Brisbane. They beat Brisbane pretty comfortably in that game. Brisbane also had an, a, a weird loss in round one before the hiatus to Hawthorne which was their third loss for the season. And they've had some close ones against the Kangaroos, uh, against uh, yeah, Collingwood, an eight-pointer, four points against Melbourne. They've had some some closer-type games there. But yeah, I, I still... I, they've been really good, and they haven't lost those games that they, they should have won. But when they've come up against those uh, their fellow top four teams, they haven't been dominating them. You don't expect them to necessarily dominate, but that question mark, I think, is still there for both of those squads. Um, but I, I tend to agree with you that I think... Um, yeah, Brisbane is probably getting undersold a, a little bit, uh, whereas Port, I, I have a few more question marks with them, but it, it's still, they've been ridiculously good seasons, 13-3 and three for both of them. They've been looking really, really strong for majority of the time. It's just that when those big games come up, they haven't uh, always executed at their best. Yeah, and Brisbane, uh, it does feel like Brisbane for mine, it's been very self-inflicted, and we're going to get into this uh, in the oh, last yeah. segment here and talk about expected scores, and we've spoken about their accuracy a lot. But it does feel like while that's going to be a concern rolling into the finals, if Brisbane do have a day where they kick straight, then I think they can beat anyone. The big concern for them is obviously Harris Andrews, and that's why I would have a question mark on them right now. But they've got the back line. 
They've got the, the the midfield stars in the midfield. They've got the forward line with Cameron, Hipwood, uh, these guys rolling around there. So I, I just feel that Brisbane feels more complete than Port Adelaide to me. And I've seen Port Adelaide on a number of occasions uh, bully the teams in the bottom eight. As you said, they haven't had a, a bad loss to any of those teams. Whereas Brisbane, again, I, I feel like they've been in games against the top teams and they just have, have kicked themselves out of it, including against Geelong and, and obviously Richmond, where they, they couldn't kick straight at all. So there's question marks on both of them, no doubt. If you had to ask me who I think, uh, who I have rated higher right now, it's probably Brisbane. I also love the fact that they're going to be at the Gabba right the way through. That's just a big advantage. They play really well at that ground. They're going to be at home. Port Adelaide will have it for the first finals, but not all the way through. But again, uh, this... Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. Let me just say this. I wouldn't be shocked if in the first week of the finals, Port Adelaide come out and beat Geelong pretty comfortably. And then everyone says, okay, well, that was the win we were waiting for. We just haven't had it. You talk about your know, question marks on these teams, but you, when you look down further, like Richmond, they were real sluggish to begin the season. You have multitudes of off-field uh, distractions and things going on. So many injuries. They had question marks. Geelong, they just got smashed by Richmond. They were you know, six, seven goals down against the Bulldogs two weeks ago. So they are, they are not without their question marks as well. You know, pumped by Collingwood those you know, weeks ago. There's there's not teams where you go, well, I know 100% sure these teams are going to be great because everyone's had these real real weird sort of brain farty type moments. We know West Coast, you yeah? know undefeated in Perth, can't win anywhere else. So with the question marks there, so while we can highlight a question mark on Brisbane and we can highlight one on Port, we can do the same for the other three teams in the top five there uh, pretty comfortably. I think the Lions question marks are probably smaller than nearly all of those teams because so much can be talked about with their goal kicking, but also when you're kicking poorly for goal for 16 straight weeks, uh, it becomes more of a pattern than an exception. Well, Richmond's the one for mine that are the head and shoulders above everyone. You and you spoke about some of the, the performances they had earlier in the season. No doubt they didn't look at their best. Yeah, there has been some off-field stuff, but we've seen this story before with Richmond. When they get to the this end of the season, they figure it out. Last year, they looked pretty ordinary at the start of the season as well, and they timed it to perfection. And I watched that game, obviously, with pretty much everyone that has an interest in footy, Richmond Geelong last week, and it was complete domination. And Richmond did that to West Coast two weeks before that. So it's the Tigers and then everyone else. And I agree. There's a, they're, they're in the pack. And that's when I say when there's question marks. Every team below them has those question marks. So I don't look at Port Adelaide purely on ladder position and say, oh, they're the favorites. Or they, I expect that they uh, will be in the grand final because I think it's Richmond. And then I think there's, there is the four teams below them that it wouldn't surprise me at all if any of those teams went through to the grand final to play Richmond. Richmond also has your mate Derek Smith that they can bring back in if they need a need a exactly. wild card to, uh, to to throw things around. But you're right. Look, they've had a win against uh, Geelong. They had a win against West Coast in the last three weeks. They've beaten uh, Brisbane as well. Um, yeah, they did lose to the Power in that game we talked about. So they've got you know, a pretty good uh, record against those other teams in the top four, top five. So they are. It's a really interesting top, and I think that's why we talked so much about how important it was for West Coast to try and get into that top four because yeah, that group of teams up there is is so strong, and there can be back and forwards between those squads, and getting that extra chance is really really important. And yeah, that free free pass almost or your potential free pass into a preliminary final is so important with how tight those uh, how tight those teams can be, and the interplay between all of those guys up there is uh, is really intriguing. So I think that is something to watch for. But again, we no team has really distanced themselves, I think, at this point to be the team that is is to beat. You, you, 
Richmond's fine. I could say Geelong. You could say Brisbane. I think they're... Would you have all three of them ahead of Port? Which is weird to say considering Port's on top. I reckon you might. And that's, I guess, an indication of how tight things can be, but also how much things can go uh, yeah, back and forth or be unpredictable in this season. Well, Port are going to have the home final. So I think, you know, if you were coming into the first week, which again, we expect either way, whether it's Port and Geelong or it's Port and West Coast, I think, you know, you probably... You probably give Port the advantage there. Finish top of the ladder, playing at Adelaide Oval, they're going to have a crowd there. I think that's a big advantage for them, and that's what gives them a leg up. If they were playing at the Gabba or they were playing at Metricon, then I might swing the other way. So I think that that is what they've got going for them, the fact that they can have a ride all the way to the grand final at Adelaide Oval if uh, they win that first final. Yeah, that is uh, that is true for them. We'll see how that all uh, all pans out. But um, I'm just looking at something with their, their losses uh, yeah, they lost one game at the Adelaide Oval that game against St Kilda where they were outplayed and the other two they lost uh, at the Gabba so yeah that's uh, that's how they've fared through the season but we, we've hinted at it so let's actually talk about it now and that is goal kicking Kane because it has been a um, an issue for plenty of teams this season and it seems so often if a team gets off to a start where they kick you know, 6-1 or you know 5-1 and the other team's 0-4 it's, uh, it becomes really hard to come back in that scenario and Kicking for goal is massive, and you've highlighted the top five teams here in terms of their expected scores versus real scores. It's not just about conversion, because if you're having, and that's a different argument, if you're having shots from 50 meters out on the boundary, they're not easy to kick. It's, that's also an, an indictment on your midfield and where you're getting the ball to your forwards, because that's a different part of that. But in terms of just straight goal kicking, we're looking at something on from Stats Insider the uh, expected score versus actual score. And there's some pretty big discrepancies between those top five teams. Yeah, there is. So the reason I didn't include the bottom three teams is just for the purpose of, of basically timing. And, and we spent so much time talking about these top five teams. So uh, just to, to quickly run through this, we'll start with Brisbane, Josh, because we spoke about their accuracy. So they have by far the worst uh, or the biggest differential between expected score and actual score uh, on the season. So they're minus 12% of where they should have been. I don't think that really surprises anyone uh, because of the inaccuracy issues that they have had. But perhaps the biggest concern for them is they really don't have anyone that's a better than 50% uh, accuracy player this season. So Cameron's sitting at 50% and Hipwood is at 44%. The interesting thing with that Hipwood score, he's 38% on set shots. So it actually gets worse for him, and he's going to be a player that they're going to want to take contested marks, be able to hit him up on the lead. So the fact that that 44% is actually hiding the fact that he's even worse than that on set shots. Hipwood's clearly been a problem for the Lions, and again, uh, could be an X factor between them winning and losing the final. Look, it's absolutely wild to have a look at the difference, say, between Geelong, who's the best out of this uh, top five group. They're a, a plus 8%, and Brisbane, who's a minus 12%. Brisbane has, based on expected score from this position, you know, uh, given up 20 goals over the uh, course of the season. 122 points is what they have scored, fewer than what they probably should have uh, in those areas. And that's not even including, like that's getting back to a 0% differential. If you go to Geelong, who are yeah, 81% uh, 81 points higher than their actual, that, that's it's a massive, massive difference. Brisbane yeah, kicking 38% in general play versus 50% to Geelong. Uh, 41% for, between 25 meters and the arc versus 55 for Geelong. 24% on shots outside 50. Look, these are staggeringly bad numbers. And as I said earlier, you know, one or two games, it's a problem. 
17 games, 16 games, it's it's something that is what you have to expect at this point. And if they do have a game where they kick accurately, it then is the exception, not the uh, not the other way around. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and clearly in finals, the pressure is going to be ramped up as well. And I don't just mean pr- uh, pressure with set shots, but you spoke about some of those examples from that, that mid-range, if you want to call it that, from within the inside 50 arc there. And I, I just think if you play in Brisbane... You have to say to yourself, well, okay, if we can put enough pressure on this team inside 50 with our defense, get numbers back, force them into taking difficult shots, you give yourself a chance to win the game. As you said, uh, they're basically, and look, 20 goals, again, over 16 weeks so far, uh, you know, space that out, it's only about a goal a game. But in a final, Brisbane lost close finals last year. And oh, they lost a close final against GWS and their kicking wasn't good in that game. And it just stands out to me in finals, you need your big forwards to stand up. You mentioned the fact that the Cats obviously are plus 8% there. So I'll just run through them quickly. So Geelong plus 8%, West Coast plus 6, Richmond uh, minus 2, Port minus 6, and then all the way down to Brisbane at minus 12. But if you look at the key forwards, the guys that you need to stand up, take a pack mark, go back, kick a set shot in a big moment in the final, Tom Hawkins, 59% accuracy. Josh Kennedy is at 59% as well. Uh, Tom Lynch is at 53%. Charlie Dixon up at 60 and then you go all the way down to Hipwood at 44, and as I mentioned, a 38% on set shots. So it stands out, and this is this could be what holds Brisbane back from winning the flag this year. The other one I want to mention, and there's a couple of X factors in here that we spoke about. Uh, the Cats have wanted to play Dangerfield a lot up forward, at uh, 33% this year, and he's only had one shot inside 25. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's no secret that Dangerfield kicking set shots for goal, no one feels confident uh, watching him kick those, but... Again, he's a guy that can turn a final with those marks, with the things that he can do inside 50. I've got no doubt they're going to throw him down there in stretches. But if he can't kick, it's not going to help him. No, that's that's exactly right. And he has been he's had some real problems with his goal kicking over the course of his career and it's been you know, it's been one of the exceptions in terms of Geelong and their goal kicking this season. The other thing with Brisbane, you talked about um you know how you feel more comfortable, you push them wide, they're not going to hit them. They're still only going 50% from directly in front. These yeah. other teams are 60, 65%, 62% and that is a that's a big difference. Brisbane of course going 37% from uh from out wide. One thing also yeah, that is interesting with goal kicking, you bring that up with, with Dangerfield and his goal kicking, um, and it's these midfielders, these bigger midfielders who go forward, they get lumped together a lot. And when players have a uh, a thing that happens to them, like Dangerfield with his goal kicking, it, it tends to stick. And it's happened to you know, someone like Marcus Bontempelli. Every time he gets a mark inside 50, the commentators say, well, the, the real knock on his game has been you know, he's kicking for goal. And... Because he and Dangerfield are both midfielders, they push forward, they have those shots at goal. We don't always look at the numbers. Bontempel is a plus two percent in terms of his actual expected score versus uh, you know, versus what he's actually scored this season. So that's that's way above average. And I think we need to really you know, look at these things. And you know, the numbers are way more important than what the general gut feel of these things are. And the numbers back it up with Dangerfield, but it doesn't for everybody. So that's why it's always important to just go back and have a look and, and reassess when we're talking about these things uh, over what's actually happened versus what the perceived narrative may be. Well, when I think of, there's four guys I think of, and you could probably throw Bont in there, but I don't think he's played as a permanent forward as much as the other guys or, or a guy that they've tried to throw him down there. So Dustin Martin, Christian Petrarca, uh, Paddy Cripps has been doing it a fair bit this year for Carlton. I think that maybe that might be through injury. And then obviously Paddy, uh, Petrarca and Dustin are on a completely different level. 
when it comes to that. And that's what separates him. Dustin Martin this year, uh, 52%. Uh, he's obviously a guy that you believe is going to kick a goal at all times. He just he just wheels around and from the boundary line and snaps him through post height from 50 out. The guy's an absolute freak. But that is what separates these guys and why they why they could, including Petrarca, if Melbourne can sneak into the eight, could could win them a final because they're guys that are so clean inside 50, kick the ball well, and can get you a bag. Just those names you brought up. I'm just having a look. Who do you reckon's had the most shots of goal out of that group? Petrarca, Dangerfield, Cripps, Bontempelli. Um, Martin. Uh, I'm, I'm, my guess would be Petrarca, but yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's had 29 shots, but he's only going at 45% overall. He's still a, he's still a plus 8% because he's having some pretty tough shots and he hasn't missed a single shot from directly in front. But uh, yeah, he's had 29 shots of goal as a guy that's played in majority midfield this season. So Paddy Cripps, I've looked him up. He is minus 28. <laughs> uh, sorry, he's minus 38%. Jesus, that on, is that On is expected score. So he's he's... Uh, this, again, thanks to statsinsider.com.au. Paddy Cripps expected score uh, 73.2 points. Uh, he's 45, so minus 28 points. So he's basically cost the Blues um, five goals from what would be expected. Again, this is based on the average from players from where he's having those shots. So five goals difference. We've spoken about Carlton. They've been in a lot of close games and uh, only just missing out on the finals. Yeah, they had that one earlier in the year against Melbourne where he had quite a few shots of goal in that fourth yeah. quarter. Yeah. and. Uh... Who knows? There's that one that was one that they, uh, a couple others. I can't remember the other ones he had, but there was a few. But that that is a massive, massive, um, massive, massive difference in terms of conversion. But it's huge. It's going to be something to watch throughout the finals to see whether teams like Brisbane can turn it around to see whether Geelong can keep it up because that can be a huge. You know, it's, if it's one goal swing either way, that's two goals. And these close finals between really good teams. Uh, two goals is uh, is a margin that's uh, not not an outrageous thing to think it could swing a complete final series. So these things need to be worked uh, worked out, and uh, I'm really pumped to watch it happen. Kane, uh, thank you again for another episode of Locked On AFL today. We'll be back tomorrow um, with with there is footy coming up on Thursday night, so we'll talk about that one and talk about more news across the league. With no surprise retirements during today's show. That, uh, that I'm aware of. So just, just making sure there's no breaking news going on here. No, we're, all, we're all good. Kane, thank you. Catch you tomorrow, my friend. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Brody Holland.